Welcome to the Golf.com podcast. I'm your host, Sean Zock. It is time for the second annual Hot Take podcast. What is a hot take? For the 1,000th time, I'm going to say it again. LeBron James was not born with a clutch gene. According to the smart folks over at Wikipedia, a hot take is a piece of deliberately provocative commentary that is based almost entirely on shallow moralizing. That is exactly what I have for you today. Hot takes from some of the more provocative voices in the online arena of the golf world. We've got takes on Jordan Spieth, Sergio Garcia, Patrick Reed, and last but not least, Tiger Woods. I will leave it up to you, the listener, to decide just how shallow their moralizing really is. Let's get down to it. Without further ado, I want to welcome in Chris Solomon from No Laying Up. Joined me last year in which he brought the heat, predicting an absolute beatdown of the Europeans at the Ryder Cup. He predicted a score of 16.5 to 11.5. The final tally, as you'll remember, was 17 to 11, so clearly his take at the time was not nearly hot enough. I trust he can improve this year. Chris, what is your hot take? My hot take is Jordan Spieth is going to win the Masters by four shots, and he's going to end his career with five green jackets. Shocker. Shocker. So a little bit of now, a little bit of future in this hot take. Augusta really is Jordan Spieth's backyard, but four strokes. You know that only two people in the last 20 years of this event have won by four strokes, that being Spieth in 2015 and Tiger Woods in 97 don't care i'm playing with house money at this point because uh <laughs> my last year's prediction was spot on i my only mistake here is uh, last year my prediction was a clean like six months out or something like that and you know if it didn't work out people would have forgotten about it and <laughs> this one is happening in a couple weeks and if i'm really wrong if he misses the cut then i'm probably going to hear something about it but uh I, i'm just going to keep beating this drum every year i think for the, about the next 20 and I'll be right enough times, I think, to justify it. Uh, there's something about that guy in that golf course that I just think he, it's really fun to root for him, A, when he's on it, when he's playing at Augusta. And I, I honestly truly do expect him to be at the top or near the top of the leaderboard pretty much every year for the next 15 to 20 years. Well, and just besides Augusta being, like I said, he's kind of his backyard. He finished T2, I believe, or solo second, I'm sure, maybe. The first time he played it, then he goes out and wins by four, uh, ties Tiger's record. Then last year happens, he still finishes T2. The guy has never finished worse than second at the Masters. But beyond that, this year, since January, he goes T3, 3, T9, wins at Pebble. He went T22 at uh, the Genesis Open, T12 at Mexico. The guy has played really, really good golf without winning every tournament somehow. I don't know if him winning is a bold prediction, but him winning by four, I got to give it to you. That, that that's definitely a take. That's throwing something out there. I had to go for something. I don't. I don't really. I don't really know what a hot take is anymore. I think <laughs> I, I, I'm not even sure this really qualifies. This might be more of a bold prediction than a hot take. I think now a hot take is just when you take something and twist it around to make to you know to say the complete opposite of what everyone else is saying yes uh, so I don't necessarily think that qualifies but uh, yeah I wasn't willing to put myself too far too far out there considering how soon this is gonna so, again but pick, predicting him to win is not putting yourself out there so I needed to add a little bit of curve to it but uh, I, I mean his 2015 year was well documented and his 2016 year he won twice 
but really, really struggled with his uh, his iron play, comparatively speaking. This year, he's leading the tour in strokes gain approaching the green, uh, gaining almost a shot and a half per round on the field approaching the green. He's not driving the ball nearly as well as he has this year, and, and the putting has taken a bit of a dip. Uh, there's not that many measured rounds that go into the stats at this at this point of the year, but uh, his iron play has been truly incredible. He's hitting like over 75% of his greens, which is, again, not the best statistic, but I think he's leading the tour in that in that category as well. So uh, on a course that you know is is described as a second shot golf course, uh, I, I don't see how anyone can stray too far from uh, predicting him near the top. But Chris, I'm gonna play devil's advocate. The demons, the the twelve hole no. demons, the demons. No. That's what everyone's gonna no. say. You think? No. Uh, I know. I know. I should stop. But there, <laughs> there's going to be too many people. Too many people that in a couple weeks. We'll be asking Jordan Spieth how, what he's going to look at, how he's going to play the 12th hole at Augusta, how he's going to get over this impossibly epic collapse he had last year. And you think it, it no chance it phases him? I think it'd be a bigger deal if he didn't, if he hadn't already won one. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, I think it could be extremely damaging if he hadn't already won one. It was just that ending last year just did not fit the story. You know, I mean, as much as I as much as I like Greg Norman, him collapsing in '96 kind of fit the story. Like he, he was that that's the tournament that just kind of evaded him for so long. Him, you know, falling apart and getting run down by Faldo just made a lot of sense for Speed to have finished second uh, to Bubba in 14, learned from that and came out and had a record-setting performance in 15, and to be up by like six at the turn. Him blowing that lead just did not fit the story. You know, maybe if he had blown it the year before and then came back to win it. That'd be a pretty fantastic story, but it just didn't make sense. The guy had proven himself at that level. He had led, led the masters for each of the seven previous rounds at the end of the day, at the end of the previous seven rounds, he had led. So for them to, you know, hit those two shots on 12, just did not make any sense. I think they're an outlier. I'm, I'm not worried when he steps up that T on 12. Yeah, it was a, it was basically a half an hour maybe of time, not even maybe 15 to 20 minutes uh, where basically everyone in the media center, their jaw was on the ground. It, it was it was remarkable, and we didn't know what to do. Now, part of your take, though, five green jackets, That that is the spiciest part of this whole thing, is that you think he will tie, I believe, uh, I don't even know who, who all has five. I know Jack has six, but five green jackets, that is a mother load uh, of dominance at one course. See, but that you got to remember my stance on the timing of this thing. I mean, in 20 years, who's going to look back on this take if it turns out he has if he retires <laughs> I will. once? So I'm safe there. Again, <laughs> making these these long range predictions are really safe on the internet, where the attention span of everyone is maybe six days. So um, uh, no, I, I again, like I said, I think he's going to be near the top for at least a couple of decades. The guy's 23 years old now, if I'm remembering right. I mean, he's got a, an entire future in front of him. He, he's got a level head on his shoulders. He's not going to pull an Anthony Kim on us. Um, I, I just think it's yeah, it's. <laughs> I've gotten really excited uh, assigning a lot of majors to both Rory and Spieth in the past, and have not learned from that mistake yet. Um, uh, in my head, I don't think these guys will ever age. But just seeing how many Masters he has left to play. Uh, I don't think it's crazy to think he wins four out of the next 20 Masters. Okay, well, let's let's think about it just one more time. Wouldn't you say that the competition on the PGA Tour is probably as strong as it's ever been? Would, would you agree with that? 
Oh, absolutely. But Augusta, for whatever reason, um, has 15 to 20 guys, and maybe I'm stretching that list to too long, and um, that that just play that course, play that course, or really, really can win on that course. And I know there are guys outside that 15 to 20 that can win. Uh, you know, in recent years, Charles Schwartz, Charles Schwartzel, uh, Danny Willett wouldn't have been in that 15 to 20 guys even a year ago. Um, so I, I just feel like guys like him, like Adam Scott, and Jason Day, just have um, a much better chance of winning that event than they do, say, the Open Championship or a PGA Championship, just because of the way that course uh, fits their particular game. So I do think it's a really deep game, but I'm not I, I'm not fearing somebody like uh, this will be famous last words because I, I specifically. <laughs> said Danny Willett's name as like throwing him out the window last year. Uh, but I'm saying I, I, I don't, the game being deep, evidence of the game being deep is somebody like Mark Leishman winning this past weekend. And I don't fear Jordan losing to Mark Leishman uh, at Augusta come Sunday afternoon. So it's pro- I might have to hedge that just at bet specifically on Leishman yeah. now that I said that. But uh, I, I don't know. The way Augusta sets up, I think it really can – Special. I don't know. Specialize the word. Players can really specialize in in excelling on that course. And everything we've seen from Speed so far in his career says he's got something figured out about that place. Yeah, and not so much players specializing their game for, but players in general can just be kind of innate. Uh, their game that that they were born with or developed as a youth can really just fit. Their swing can fit Augusta. Their their ball flight can fit Augusta. That's definitely not. That's not unique for me and you in this conversation. That's something we've known over the years. Five. Green Jackets would put Spieth behind Jack Nicholas alone for the total career Green Jackets. At, uh, one at Augusta National, that would be pretty incredible, Mark, in 20 years from now. I'm not sure what we'll be doing, but I'm going to hold on to this one, and I'm, I'm going to try to keep it in mind to call you out in 20 years, or maybe even less if he proves it to be true. That was Chris Solomon from No Laying Up uh, in much of his Spieth adoration. He, he threw it out there, lathered it on for you. Take it as you will. We can move on to a similar take, though a bit contrary to Chris's uh, Spieth love affair. Coleman McDowell, a colleague of mine at golf.com, believes in another player who has actually never won at Augusta. Coleman, what is your hot take? Your 2017 Masters champion is Sergio Garcia. I just come here and play and, you know, and then go home. So that's about it. Sergio. Sergio. You believe in Sergio. I, well, I started this as a joke, and then I started looking at it a little, little bit more, and I've talked myself into it. I've, I've come a full circle on Sergio. You have a history yourself of talking yourself into certain players more than anyone that I work with here at Golf.com. Sergio Garcia has one top five finish in his career at the Masters. I believe he's played it 18 times. He finished T4 in 2004. He lost by six strokes. Sergio Garcia has never really come close to winning the Masters. So why the hell do you think Sergio can win it this year? Here's the thing. Interspersed are these random victories that you have your Trevor Immelman, you have your Mike Weir, you have Danny Willett from last year, that it's most likely going to be a lot of one-offs where weird things can happen. And so... When you look at Sergio, he's really, really good. The knock against good the knock against him is the mental game, and you can use his own quotes against him, where he said in 2012, he said himself, "I'm not good enough," 
where in the third round he shot 75 and he said I don't have the thing I need to have in the 2007 open when he lost in a playoff the British Open he said I'm playing against a lot of guys out there more than just the field who so Sergio thinks these like golf gods are against him he says he's not good enough he doesn't have what it takes you know what we're going to reverse engineer that into zero expectations he's already given up he doesn't have the pressure last year he wasn't i don't think he was even invited in to the media center for pre-tournament interviews and people like von taylor were invited like jim herman was in there bryson dechambeau was in there like they're they're you know they have like 30 people in there throughout the week on monday tuesday wednesday sergio wasn't even one of those Mm -hmm. um so you're going with so the, I think the he's no going under the radar, no expectations. He's actually he's hitting the ball really freaking good the last two years. Um, he's engaged. You can see he's got a little pep in his step. He's getting married this summer. He is generally a happy Sergio. He said, I think that when things are going well off the course, it's much easier to feel comfortable on the course because there's no worries. Can he play in the final group? alongside Adam Scott or Dustin Johnson and hold on to a two-shot lead on the back nine? Maybe not, but could he shoot a 66 on Sunday in maybe the third or fourth last group and just kind of sit in the clubhouse and be someone who posts the number and maybe doesn't have to make that four-footer on the 18th hole to win? Um, okay. Yeah, so so I'm... I'm I'm fully, fully on board with Team Sergio now, and okay. so, I, it's it's just a it's a bevy of factors I think, but the 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 main one no expectations for himself or from the public or from his fiance probably. Uh, Sergio's Hakuna Matata moment maybe maybe that's what we'll call it. Sergio happy as he's ever been. I feel like I've talked you into this too because you're not pushing back. No, I think I, you're on Team Sergio. I'm not on Team Sergio. I probably will never be on Team Sergio. Sorry, Sergio. I know you're listening to this. I think that the the one part of this that I can subscribe to, beyond beyond Sergio being happy and him being no worries, when he did contend, if you will, 2004, his best performance at the Masters, the final 12 holes are actually what pushed him up the leaderboard. He went eight under on the final 12 holes. This is typical Sergio, though. Following a double bogey on the sixth, he goes, birdie, 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 par, par, birdie, birdie, <laughs> bogey, eagle, birdie, birdie, par. Th- th- that is how Sergio would get it done. Now, just to add a little fire, a little flame, you need to give me a win differential. I know that you, you probably are going out enough on a limb to say that Sergio is going to get it done, but how many strokes is he going to win by? Okay, so there are some parallels with Willett because coming into the Masters last year in 2016, Danny Willett won the Omega Dubai Desert Classic on the European Tour. Oh, gosh. Then won the Masters. Do you know who won the 2017 Omega Dubai Desert Classic? Uh, is this his last name? It's Sergio. Mm. So I think he could follow Danny Willett. I'm thinking he fin- he won by three last year over Spieth and Westwood. So I'm going to give that same number. I'm going to give three, three-stroke differential with, I'll go ahead and call it, I think he goes out on Sunday, and I think he's going to shoot a 65, 
paired with he's going to be paired with um who would he be paired with on sunday someone who's like a couple shots back and kind of not a huge name but just big enough to um, paul casey paul casey someone he's comfortable with i like that someone he's comfortable with doesn't have a huge following a lot of the fans in the U.S. don't like Sergio, but you aren't going to get the venom that you're going to see at a Ryder Cup or at these other events because they're going to be scared. They're going to get kicked out of Augusta. So yeah, yeah. the fans are going to be more respectful. He's going to be in that kind of controlled environment that produced some really good golf from Bubba. Yeah. I don't I don't know if there's a case against this, to be honest. Well, I'm, I'm circling the wagons. There are certain, for Garcia. <clears throat> there are many cases to be made against Sergio to have a three-shot victory. Chris Allman just made one for Jordan Spieth a little while ago, but we'll leave your take at that. We'll move on from there. But first, I'd like to pause for one quick message. Uh, I'd like to share another take from a reader of Golf Magazine who anonymously wrote in commenting on hats. Commenting on golf hats. These are the things that almost every golfer wears as they play the game. The email goes as follows. The young players all wear ball caps when they compete on the tour. Young pro Ali Schneider-Johns is the only exception I know of playing the tour. We know why they wear the caps. Their sponsors want them to advertise their brand. Enough of this nonsense. If the sponsoring company wants the player to endorse their product, a print or TV ad will do just fine. All the old players were hatless, by and large, including Arnie, Jack, Gene Littler, Johnny Miller, Ben Crenshaw, and Lanny Watkins. Sure, Billy Casper, Gary Player, and Lee Trevino wore caps, but they were the exceptions and not the rule. Sam Sneed wore his trademark Panama hat, and Hogan wore his trademark cap, but not to advertise products. They wore them for practical reasons like sun protection, and especially to lessen glare. It looks stupid. All the young pros donning overly big logo emblazoned ball caps. Are they golfers, or are they race car drivers? That, my friends, is a scorching take. Criticizing golfers not only for wearing hats, but also for marketing themselves well enough to profit off their popularity and their skill set. How dare them? That take, I'm sure, is nothing compared to what we have next. I'm now happy to welcome in Brendan Porath from SB Nation, Brendan and I texted earlier today, and he had fire takes ready to go, shooting from the hip. He had, he had no reserve jumping in on the Hot Take podcast, which is why I'm super stoked to have him involved. Brendan, what is your take? Sean, my hot take. Patrick Reed. One of the stars of the U.S. Ryder Cup team. Had that showdown with Rory McIlroy. The hype. It's fraudulent. <laughs> fraudulent now, hype. He told me this is a hot take podcast. So in that spirit, I'm putting on my, you know, Skip Baylissian hat here. Let's hear punching it. in the nuclear code. <laughs> and Patrick Reed, I guess, is going to be the target today. Okay. Okay. Where, where, where does it begin? I just think, I'm not sure. I think he's bad for golf. I think, the, well, not him personally, but I think the, the hype and the character and the embracing of him as an American hero uh, it's just been fraudulent, not commensurate with what he's done. And I think he's just kind of a, a product of the Twitter era. Okay. Misplaced patriotism. And I just, I don't think what he's done, you know, he wagged his finger and now he's this cult American hero. Uh, he's a player, no doubt. I just think we've, 
broaden the category and throwing them into these this class with you know Rory and Ricky and Jason and Spieth just because you know he's kicked butt for us at the Ryder Cup. Okay, um, and he's won a WGC. I mean, Keegan Bradley's done that, and a major. Bradley's won a major too. He's won a WGC, and he you know had some early Ryder Cup success and got excited and did all that. Like I just think like the like fanboyism on Twitter, and I'm really going against the grain here, but this is a hot take pod, uh, is just not warranted. The 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 Twitter social media fanboyism, I think, starts and ends in some cases with Chris Solomon of Knowing Up, who we already heard from oh, yeah. today on the podcast. Uh, you know what? You you bring up some very good points, and I'm glad that you used the the case A of Keegan Bradley, a guy that has really fallen out of the graces in terms of American golf fanhood. Patrick Reed has not contended in a major. He has not finished in the top 10. That's a stat that is almost going to become cliche the longer it happens in his career. He has not finished in the top 10 at a major. Sample size might not be that large, but it hasn't happened. Is that part of the reason why you think, like, you think Patrick needs to get it done in one of the biggest events of the year? Yeah, I just... I mean, he doesn't have a top 10 in a major. Uh, he's played well in the Ryder Cup, but that doesn't mean like he's, you know, some Rory stopper. Like we start calling him that, you know, come on. Let's just like Deshaun Stevenson calling himself like the LeBron stopper. Mm. There's like some, some like LeVar Ball type hype train with, <laughs> with, with Reed that it's just like hard to stomach, but because he, you know, drapes himself in the flag mm. and wins points for us because the one week that, we have this strong rooting interest, all of a sudden he's this world-class player that, you know, won multiple major championships, and he's just not. I think, like, that's my big problem. I also, you know, he's a big-timer by all accounts. You know, he big-times the hell out of everybody. Sponsors, he, he commits to play, you know, the Super Sixes in Perth and then doesn't because he's sick but plays, you know, on the West Coast in the intervening weeks. Like, he just sounds like a big-timer who's, you know, a combination of like overwhelming self unawareness and, you know, calculated kind of brand plays, which it just, it just bothers me. Can you respect the calculated brand plays at all? Can you respect that? Or is it just really wearing on you? <laughs> I don't know if you can tell that it kind of wears on you. <laughs> like at, 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 at the Ryder Cup, like his whole crew is walking around with like Team Reed embroidered on, the stuff they hand out, whatever, like the polo gear. Like, is everybody else getting, like, their own, like, personalized, like, going out to, you know, adjusting the, the uniform and, and also putting their own personal stuff on it? You know, it's a little bit of, like, I don't know. It's just kind of this, that they play into that. And it's a little bit of a Potemkin village, you know, with the resume. It doesn't kind of add up to this, you know, American hero. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you one last question about it. Does it yeah. have anything to do with Patrick Reed trying to take on the Tiger Sunday red and black? It has it has a part to do with that. Okay. I mean, the big timer stuff, but the taste. We have to question the taste, Sean. <laughs> um, red and black is, is just a bad combination. It's not a bad combination if you're Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods. Like, they can pull it off. I understand that. But you see Ross Fisher down at the WGC in Mexico? doing the red and black get up he looks like this off-brand like 
bad model for like an eBay catalog or something. <laughs> I just don't like. I, I don't care if it's an homage. It's it's like it's just bad taste. Red and black looks bad, and you're not Tiger. I just and last night he's you know he's on Faraday. You know, we're recording this on Tuesday with like checkerboard on top of tartan. It's just like I called it new nouveau reach, like Texas style. Um, I just. I, I question, you know, he's done away with the choker. I can get behind that. I'm happy that mm-hmm. that's, that's gone away. But, yeah, the, the black and red, I, I just don't get it. Oh, my goodness. Brendan, you you have crushed this take. I, I really appreciate that. The, I think this podcast needed a little pick-me-up before before uh, the final guest, and you've certainly got us there with, with a little bit of a take, though uh, you qualified it as, you know, your Skip Bayless, Ian type of mentality uh, that Patrick Reed – might not be great for golf, and um, and if if that's not what the take is, it's at least calling him out for being a bit fraudulent. Either way, Brendan, I knew you were going to come through with not only a funny take but a fire take uh, in regards to Patrick Reed, and really lead us into our last guest on the show, who is probably most well known for his takes out of the group. He's even a self-proclaimed take smith, according to his Twitter bio. For now, we'll just call him a take fiend. He has strong opinions on Jason Day, Matt Kuchar, and white belts, to name just a few things. He is, of course, Tron Carter. Tron was recently quoted saying, there are some in this world not worthy of my takes. Tron, is this true? I I guess it's only true if you want it to be true. I want it to be true. Uh, Yeah, that that may have been said over a few few glasses of Chablis the other night with Brennan Porath. Brennan's trouble. Uh, and we got to him earlier in the podcast, um, but I'm glad that that's true. And I'm ready for these these takes that some are not worthy of. I'd like you to know first that I do have a fire extinguisher here in the studio in case your words sear a hole through my computer. Just don't hold back. Your first take has to do with Tiger Woods, but not just that. It's 24-year-old Tiger Woods. Tron, what is your take? My take, and I don't even think it's a hot take. It's just a take. Because when, when, you, when you say it's a hot take, it's... It just kind of uh, diminishes the credibility of it. My take is that I think Tiger, or I know Tiger, benefited uh, unjustly from the tee shot that he yanked left on 18 at Valhalla. So this is the 2000 PGA Championship. Correct. We're talking the third hole of three in the playoff PJ he's, t- he's taking up against Bob May he's got a one stroke lead and you'll find the video online three but again but this one is high and way left oh oh that is miles left I'm, I have well Kenny go. Perry was actually down there in, in 96 but there hasn't been anyone there all week there look goes. out it's on a it's on a journey of its own What happened there? Wow, on me. Back in it. What happened with that ball? I Did you understand. think someone either kicked it or threw it back that direction? I don't know. It, 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 it didn't... Didn't react naturally, did it? No, it didn't at all. Jim Nance, Ken Venturi were on the broadcast. They were confused as to what was happening. Basically, Tiger goes left of left, hits his ball that is flying into just some shrubbery, and all of a sudden, you can set the scene. Tell me what happens. Yeah, I mean, well, the I mean, the crowds were crazy good all week, but yeah, Tiger yanked it left, and then the ball is just 
rocketing into I don't even know what's over there, like a little shrubbery and like you said, and trees, um, little like native grass, that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden the ball just comes like ricocheting out totally unnaturally. And you see this guy kind of running after it. There's no doubt in my mind that the guy either kicked it or picked it up and threw it. If you see the video, the ball appears to enter this shrubbery area. And it doesn't really exit it into the frame of the camera for multiple seconds. Completely yeah. unnatural. Yeah, it's it's like the it's like the Zapruder film. <laughs> it's like golf the golf the golf equivalent to that. And then I believe was that the first Tiger victory in the Tiger Slam? That was so that was the two thousand PGA. Let me let me pull it up here quick. I don't know if that was the first. Tiger Woods won the 2000 US. No, that would have been the third. So the third. Okay. Either way, you're. I think you're. I think part of you is looking to amend this problem. Are you trying to amend what? What needs to happen here? I think Tiger needs to renounce the victory. <laughs> Give it to his rightful owner, Bob May, um, the Wanamaker, and you know retroactively tithe big Bob May. For the for the winnings and you know the uh, OWGR points that he would have gotten and <laughs> lifetime exemptions and all well, that sort of stuff. I, I know that OWGR points are important to you. Um, I mean, more than anything, this would take Tiger down to 13 career majors. Uh, it would yeah. it would take away the the original Tiger Slam of all four majors at once because I was in the middle of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Does this have anything to do with you having you know any any like tour player affection for Bob May? Do, do you, is it, is it come from a fanhood? I like Bob May. Uh, but no, I, I think it's just about making things right. Justice. I wonder what Bob May thinks about this. He's probably totally apathetic to it based on, <laughs> we had him on, on our podcast a few months ago and totally chill, just like criminally low, you know, low blood pressure, cool guy. <laughs> So he, he could probably care less at this point, but I care. Yeah, as you should, and people should. Have you been sitting on this take for a while? I feel like this is something you've been sitting on. This has always kind of bugged me ever since that day. It just, it's been gnawing at me. Okay, so where where is where is Tron at uh, in regards to the 2000 PGA? Where is he watching it? Uh, I think I was 14. I was watching at my parents' house. Um. And, yeah. and and the lore really not exciting at all. The lore of Tiger Woods to fourteen year old Tron had a big dent in it that day. It did. It did. Tiger should have done the right thing. Well, that is that is a fire take. I appreciate that hot take, and that's not the only one that you've prepared for me today. And I, I'm ecstatic for the final two. The second one has to do with Kurt Schilling. This has nothing to do with golf, but you have a take that you need to get off your chest, and I'm just going to let this be an open forum for it. What what, what does it have to do with Kurt Schilling? I think he painted his sock. I think a lot of you think that he painted his sock too. And, <laughs> and I shouldn't even say I think he painted his sock. I know he painted his sock. Okay, so, I mean, to say something so definitive, to know, you got to have some kind of evidence, some, some kind of something that's pointing you in this direction. What is, what is your evidence? What's your reasoning? He had paint or ketchup on his sock. I mean, it, there, it wasn't blood. And, Bottom line. And... <laughs> and 
and this is the what the 04 Red Sox that are, are busting yeah. the curse going into baseball history and, and the sock is basically being taken off and shipped to Cooperstown you think it's all you think it's all part of the story you're just just I, well, phony ridiculous that they haven't tested the sock it's there at Cooperstown or maybe that sock was thrown away or something conveniently you know he's very defensive about it I think a few years ago Gary Thorne said something He's the Orioles uh, play-by-play guy. And, um, yeah, so I, I really just – I think it's case open and shut. I like it. I think uh, I think that's also one you've had to have been sitting on for a while, that you just – you don't feel good about Kurt Schilling. Maybe you don't feel good about the Red Sox. Maybe even baseball in general, that that has gone so long in your mind. Unjustly. Yeah, I don't really mind this whole steroid era, but the fact that he painted his sock just bothers the heck out of me. I can understand oh. that. I can understand that. That's another good take, and you know, I don't think we're going to have Kurt Schilling on the Golf dot com podcast, but you know, someone's going to have to track him down for Tron's sake. That would be something that would make me happy. Your final take, your third take, has to do with Dustin Johnson. This one looks really good. I think it's going to work. Nice shape to it. This could be the most flagrant take out there, but. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that you've got, you've got really sound reasoning for it. I think when it's all said and done, Dustin Johnson will be the greatest golfer to ever play the game. <laughs> you have to understand why I'm laughing, right? I don't. No, I think it's a totally reasonable <laughs> take. I was actually talking to Porter about this the other night over some cervezas at Rocco's Tacos and Bay, at Bay Hill, and uh, he just. He was kind of incredulous, but I think the results will speak for themselves. So, Ben Hogan, Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, Bobby Jones—all these, all these phenomenal players. You're, you're thinking DJ? Uh, yeah, I don't think we've seen the best of DJ yet. You, so, you know, I ought to give you credit, Tron, because prior to Dustin Johnson's takeover of the golf world, because he owns it right now, it's wrapped around his finger. And before that, I remember seeing from the Twitter account, Tron Carter, NLU, that you predicted a bit of this, that you said you got a feeling DJ gets it done somewhere in 2016 and then goes on a roll. Is that right? I think I said he's going to win two out of the next three majors, which, uh, actually, I said that in 2015. Okay. And then and then I predicted him for Oakmont. There you like go. Maybe so, six months before. So, so, so you sniped, uh, that, you sniped I mean, Oakmont. Yeah, I'm definitely a DJ homer, and people will counter with the fact that he's 32 years old, but I think DJ's ageless. He's He's got the long, languid, uh, oily gait of a, of a jungle cat. Of a jungle cat. So you think he will be better in due time than Big Cat? Yeah, I think we're just entering his prime. He's a late bloomer, uh, and that's funny to say because he's one of – PGA Tour event, what, like each of the last nine or ten years straight? Pretty sure it's ten, which is a very underappreciated stat. I'll give you that. Yeah. Dustin Johnson. Yeah. I mean, he's the ultimate bomb threat. He is. Uh, I mean, you you can talk to a number of tour players, and I think they will all agree that when you talk about length in the PGA Tour, it starts and ends with him, and it's not just length that Bubba Watson could have, but it's length with – in, a, in, a, in an attacking sense. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, so Dustin Johnson, the GOAT, 
you're going to find people laughing at it, Tron. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I got to say that. If you're, if you're a Dustin Johnson homer, that's got to have been a take you've been sitting on for a while. Uh, you know what? I, I just kind of realized what he was capable of. I've always thought he was capable of more, but once it started manifesting itself and he started showing that he, uh, he's capable of working hard and working smart, I think, you know, Dustin Johnson is, uh, is the seem to be goat. All right. Well, let's fire it up. Let's fire it up a little bit. How many majors does Dustin Johnson win in his career? If you, I mean, you so say I he's ageless. Like his prime is the next eight years. Okay. So DJ 32 40, through 40. 1984. Um, so right around the U.S. Open in, what will that be? 20. 25 yep he turns 40 um i don't think they've announced him out that far but so there's between now and the end of the 2025 season there's 32 majors i think dj wins eight of them oh so that's one a year in possibly possibly more yeah, possibly more, but I think that that eight is more impressive considering the depth of the current game than okay. Say what Cat or Jack did with Dustin Johnson as the goat. I think we can leave it at that for now. I love hot takes, but that is more than plenty for today. Before I let you go, as listeners, I need to ask: Do you have a spicy golf hot take that you'd like to share? Hit me up at sean.zock at golf.com. That's S-E-A-N dot Z-A-K at golf.com. Or on Twitter at Sean underscore Zock. That's S-E-A-N underscore Z-A-K. I'll share my thoughts with you. And if they're as fire as the takes we've experienced today, we'll probably share them on golf.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Sean Zock.